Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Eric Devin. Liga is back, and while it didn't quite have the bang we had hoped for, there certainly wasn't a shortage of talking points. But before we kick things off, uh, here are your latest headlines. Gangom started things on Friday with their fourth win in five games, beating Strasbourg away from home with a 2-0 win. They finished the weekend in seventh, thanks to goals from Yanis Salibur and Nicolas Benazé. In Saturday's early match, Marseille closed the gap on those above them to just a point after they dispatched with Rennes in a 3-0 victory at Roseanne Park. Valais Germain, Morgan Sanson and Florian Tovan all on the score sheet for Loem. In the multiplex, Monaco were held to another draw by Montpellier, this time a goalless affair at the Stade de la Mouzon, while Bordeaux won for the first time in 10 games as Gaetan Laborde scored in, in the 1-0 victory over Troyes. Metz gained another point as they came from behind to draw 1-1 with Dijon. Nice are up to sixth as Pierre-Lise Melou helped them to a 1-0 win at home to Amiens while Lille won their first game with Christophe Galtier in charge 1-0 at Caen. On Sunday, Galtier's old team, Saint-Étienne, finally won after 11 attempts with a 2-0 victory over Toulouse, with the returning Robert Berich scoring from the spot, while 10-man Angers just did enough to earn a point this, uh, well, another point and another draw this season against Lyon. In Sunday's final game, Paris Saint-Germain continued where they left off with a 1-0 win over Nantes. However, the entire match was overshadowed by referee Tony Chaperon, seemingly kicking out at Le Caneri defender Diego Carlos, who he then booked for a second time and saw his marching orders. In transfer news, Yanem Vier has returned to Ligue 1 as he joins Saint-Étienne from Rubin Kazan, while Montpellier may have found their Jérôme Roussillon replacement ready in the form of free transfer Ambrose Ayongo. And that's all for the news. But remember, to stay up to date with all your French football latest news, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week in Nantes, where a relatively uneventful match had one real talking point. Towards the end of the game, Diago Carlos is running back during a counter-attack and inadvertently trips up the referee, Tony Chaperon, who runs across his path. Uh, in a moment of what can only really be described as madness, uh, the official kicks out at him, seemingly booking the for descent afterwards, which was his second yellow, and the Brazilian was duly escorted off in frustration and bemusement. That yellow card has now been rescinded by the league. The referee will be reprimanded for his actions. He explains it as it was a reflex because of a recent injury. Um, I don't know what... How to make all of this really, Eric? But have you ever seen anything like this? No, it's. Uh, I mean, Chaperon is a definitely an experienced official. It's it's kind of incredible to see this one. I don't I don't rank him up there with the league's uh, league's best officials. But uh, I mean, if he genuinely feels like Carlos ran him over, one still has to maintain one's composure uh, given his position and 
especially given the fact that it's in a match against PSG or with PSG playing, that there are necessarily going to be a lot of eyes on it. But I mean, that said, if this were to, to have taken place on, say, on Friday between Strasbourg and Gangamp, I think it still would have garnered a similar amount of attention. I don't know what to say. I think that the, the LFP really needs to consider Chapon's position going forward as to whether someone with this kind of temperament is suited to be a professional referee. I mean, you know, seeing referees in England have high opinion of themselves and perhaps act a little bit uh, in a volatile fashion, but certainly nothing to this level. It's, uh, I think how the LFP handles this is going to be very closely looked at. And, you know, given the pressures of refereeing, it's one can have this. No, one can't have the smallest bit of sympathy, sympathy for him. It's such a strange incident, isn't it, Rich? I mean, I I don't understand what is possibly going through the referee's mind. I mean, he he must only feel that Diego Carlos has intentionally tripped him up, but he's running across his path for starters on a counter-attack that could end up in a goal. And I can't understand how any referee at any level, really, even amateur level, can not have the composure not to not kick a player. I mean... Even when Carlos turns around, I don't think he realizes that what the referee's done. Maybe he thinks, "Oh, the referee's trying to stand up, and he's he's inadvertently sort of tapped me a little bit while he's while he's getting back off the floor." And then all of a sudden, he's sent off as well. It's a, it's peculiar and it, a bizarre. And surely uh, they say they've been suspended him indefinitely, but this probably and almost certainly should be the end of Chaperon's career as a referee. Uh, it's the way you have to think. I mean, it was certainly one of those moments where you suddenly think, did I really just see that? Did that really just happen? Um, because we've never seen anything like it. Um, in, in terms of, of what happens with Chaperon after this, uh, I mean, there's there's no precedent. <laughs> there really isn't. Um, I think immediately when, when there was calls then for his suspension and, and, and what kind of ban that then might materialise into, um, I immediately came back to thinking about that, that um, Benjamin Jenner a couple of seasons ago got quite a lengthy ban, like 10 games or so, for what well, he was a judge to have pushed the referee, whereas I think the vast majority of people saw that actually it was probably just more of a he ran into the referee. Now, whether there was, you know, he knew what he was doing or not, Jenner got a 10-game ban for that. Um, and I, But I think there was enough in that to, to question as to whether he actually meant it. The, uh, to me, there's no there's no argument that Chaperon meant that. Whether it is an instinct thing or not, he's still meant to kick out. I'm not buying this reflex thing or anything like that. It, it, it was it was intentional. It's just whether it was a he thought, oh, I'm going to kick out of him because he he's pushed me to the floor, or whether it was just a natural instinct flick of, oh, crikey, someone's pushed me to the floor. Um, either way, uh, and it's one of those things you just never feel like you're going to have to say on a football podcast, referees shouldn't be kicking players. <laughs> it's it's one of the greatest defences I think I've ever heard as well from a referee. I mean, if surely with all the cameras that have been on him and, and everything, just just own up to it. Yeah, I lost my head, I, ki I kicked him. None of this reflex issue with a recent injury. I mean... What what perfect timing for that to crop up? Well, if, he, if, he, if he'd initially come out straight after the game and said that, maybe more people would have thought about it. But he came out with it hours after. 
hours after. So everybody has seen the replays. He's seen the replays and yet has then come out. Now, whether there's instruction from the LFP or, or whoever uh, to say, you know, Tony, look, mate, you can't come out and, and say I've kicked a player. Let's give you this soppy, you know, rubbish excuse. And you're just going to have to face the consequences of that. I, I don't know, but it, the whole of the, all of it just just baffles me. It really does. Yeah, it was really, really strange, really. And uh, the only thing I think was, especially in England, at least enjoyed, is it allowed Jonathan Pierce to sort of go into robot war mode in terms of commentary, at least. <laughs> so he didn't have to listen to uh, some of the crazy ramblings. He just focused on the fight that was essentially happening because there was that moment where Diego Carlos puts his, his hand on the referee and you're thinking, why, why is he shoving the referee now? That you, Before we've seen the incident, we're thinking, well, the Brazilian's gone a bit crazy here, but he kind of understand it in the end really um a bit of an interesting game really eric it was a bit slow for for parts there was a, a disallowed goal that i'll come on to mo in a minute but uh paris Saint germain were pretty much in second gear for a lot of this game they, they've still got a bit of a mixed side they're they're possibly still looking at bringing a couple of players in lasana dr is still um one of those names still banded around and, and others as well um We've seen this quite a bit this season, really, even the first half of the season, where they win games sort of at a canter without really having to push themselves. Um, does, should that give hope to other teams in the future to get points off them? Or is this just a, a, a marker of how good Paris Saint-Germain are compared to the rest of Liga in this season? I think it's sort of a mix. I think that you know there are certain players on this team right now who are certainly feeling fatigue. I mean, as long as... Uh, Tiago Mata has been out. The, the midfield's been working very hard. You also had uh, the two-game two ban that was served by Cavani and Pastore, who I'm not sure whether would have been fit anyway for Sunday's match. Um, but that that placed an undue amount of pressure on, on other players to be playing three matches in the space of a week with the Coupe de France and Coupe de la Ligue matches that PSG had played. So there could fatigue could be a little bit of an issue with with uh, yeah what, what certainly was a sluggish performance from PSG. Uh, but the fact that they're getting it done, you know, I think speaks to the sort of ruthless efficiency that perhaps they didn't have at times last season. This defense, I think, is only getting better too. I, that's something that we have to we have to realize that you know, last season, I think that you know, PSG's losses or draws, a lot of them were down to you know, not keeping things tight enough at the back and making silly mistakes. But I think we've seen this season that we're getting more solidity uh, when Yuri Berchich plays uh, in general. Uh, and we're getting more Presnel Kimpembe, I think, has you know been quietly become one of the better defenders in the league. I think it's still a very young age, and it's just a you know more capable, uh, capable, coherent team all around. Alfonso Ariola is a is a more solid player as well. So I think that you know I think it's for me, frankly, a, a little bit. I, I I take the opposite tack. I would think that PSG are now more likely to to win these close games and not, and not slip up. And, and if narrow margins do come about in a match, they're more like, they're, they're better positioned to win this, this season than they have been in, in other matches. Um, so it's, it's certainly, I think a good sign that for a team like not that ultra defensive, that can, you know, feel proud of the, of the result and, and how well they played, but take that with a grain of salt as well. It's, it's still a matter of, PSG perhaps being a little bit a little bit tired and not not having played midweek uh, as well. 
And the frustration really, Rich, is in a couple of these games we've seen this season at Paris Saint-Germain, it feels like the moments aren't really being seized by those teams where there is the chance to maybe draw a level or, or get themselves back into the game. And the big moment really, other than the, the strange referee moment, was that um, Emiliano Sala disallowed goal. It was disallowed for offside. He's not offside when the ball's played. Um, you could argue that the player, I think it was... Uh, it might be Norwegian, um trying to head the ball in front of him, but he doesn't touch it. He's not really interfering with play either, you would say, because there's no defenders anywhere near any of the players that would cause anything different. Should it be given as offside? Or is that one of those ones where they, it's very close, but do you think they got that wrong wrong? It's a, it's a tough one, I think, to give. Um I mean, obviously, I think you can see why it wasn't. Um, yes, those those two players, um, before the ball had got to Salah, those two players were offside. Um, but as you said, they didn't touch the ball. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't... Um, well, I don't think it, it, it caused too much of a distraction. I think all three of those players were incredibly close together, incredibly bunched together. Um and then it's a you know it's a really good headed finish from Salah. Um, I think Mont can feel a little unlucky, but unfortunately it's one of those sort of as they kept with the offside rule as it is. If you're going to you know stick with those rules, then yeah, you probably argue that there is enough there. I think that those players could have caused it. I personally don't, but I think trying to see it from a from what the referee is looking at, the lines is looking at. If he's seeing players running across the ball uh, and getting very close to making contact with the ball and certainly going for the ball, then unfortunately, I think for for Nantes, the offside call is probably the right call. Yeah, it's one of those frustrating ones, isn't it, where where the rule makes sense. I mean, the player's obviously kind of interfering with play because he's right under the ball, but is he really interfering with play when there's no chance for a defender to make a difference or a goalkeeper doesn't really stutter because he's in there because it's it's not really made that much of a difference it's a tough one I can see why both sides will probably well one side will be happy but other, the other will be slightly frustrated and whether not can keep that run they had towards the end of the season really going to stay in that fifth position with steams starting to to climb behind them is is a, another question for another day but one team that is looking like they're chasing them because it's a it's a new year but um Kangonpa really continuing on a 2017 high. Five games, four wins, and up into seventh now. And a month or so ago, we were a little bit worried about this team. We were mentioning that they weren't picking up the results we expected. But now they're, they're really flying in this <laughs> strange mid-table that we have a logjam in there at the moment, Eric. What's changed for this team? I think it's an alteration of tactics on the part of Antoine Kambouare. I think that early in the season, he had played a 4-3-3 a lot. Uh, the, the players that they brought in the season, uh, in the in, in the in the off season, uh, likes of Piri, seem to be seem to make that system more prevalent. Even even when that you played one of those midfielders as a more positive presence, say Ludovic Blah, I still think you ended up with a team that was a little bit that was a little bit static. Uh, another thing that they've changed is uh, Marcus Thuram has been dropped. He hasn't been played as much lately, and I think that makes that front four in, in a four two three one that much more dynamic. Uh, this is a group of players who have, you know, pace, who have a technical quality on the ball. Yeah, they can be a little bit erratic. I'm thinking specifically of someone like Marcus Coco, but 
I think they're really a joy to watch. Those two goals, both of those two goals that they scored against Strasbourg on Friday were really a thing of beauty, just slicing Strasbourg open on the counter and, and really playing some lovely one-touch football. Uh, but also uh, the health of Nicolas Benese. Uh, this is a player who's not had the best of luck with injuries since joining Gangon, but has always delivered when he's played. But you watch how in a central role too, usually he's been played on the left for most of his career, but in a central role, he has the ability to really facilitate the attack. He's got a lovely vision and he also, he can also score himself. I think even going back to his time at Nîmes, where he came up, he's, he's always been a capable goal scorer when played in a more central role. Uh, but when you combine him with the likes of Salibur and, and Jimmy Breon, both of whom also have a good eye for goal as well, I think you've got a really multivalent attack that's, that's, that's really lovely to see, see play. And it's, it's good to see that. Uh, I, th- I think that we need more, more positivity. I think that we've seen some unlikely successes this season. The Kana slipped a little bit, but they were up, up, in the, up in the European places early in the season. Same with Nantes, same with Montpellier. Uh, but those teams are predicating their success on sort of a more negative approach, whereas I think with Gangamp we're seeing uh, a team show how having more of an attacking mindset can can bring them to a higher level of success. So it's really good to see. I, I think Kambuare is a really capable manager, and uh, you know this is perhaps looking to be a little bit of redemption after I think you know, for, for I think for him personally, for friends, the gang up will be a bit of a disappointment with the way that that team sort of slid back into mid-table uh, over the course of the second half of last season. Yeah. Also, no, and, oh, sorry. I wanted to say, I, I also think that the loss of Abdul Kamara may be a blessing in disguise. I know he was uh, sort of, a, well, he was a, somewhat of an outlay for, for, by gang standards, but I think that he doesn't offer enough of a goal threat uh, as compared to someone like Salwar playing on that right-hand side. Now that you've got him in the team, I think you really have to look at look at this team as being more balanced uh, and offering uh, offering an attack from a variety of positions, not just uh, trying to run, run everything through the legs of Briant. Yeah, and you could see, especially in that first goal, that the fluency and the quickness of passing and the, the real sharpness in between them, that they're starting to grow in confidence again. And uh, yeah, I think seeing Benazay fit and playing well, he was excellent in that game against Strasbourg, especially in the first half. I mean, in the second half, they maybe needed a lot from Koyo and Jonsson to keep them absolutely um, solid in that one. But Rich, could you also argue that maybe it was symptomatic of the season? I mean, that the, they started pretty poorly, really, over the first three or four months. They they got some not great results. So some of the games that you would hope they would be winning, they were they were either drawing or, or losing. But the four wins have come against Trois, Dijon at home as well, who were down to 10 men very early, uh, Saint-Étienne, who were on a dire run and... Uh, sort of the new year refresh against uh, Strasbourg. So it's always kind of difficult to tell where teams are after that winter break. Is, is it maybe things are starting to break for them as well as um, form starting to return for them? Because, I mean, looking at their next couple of fixtures, they've got, uh, well, first of all, they've got Leon in midweek, which will be a tough test to prove really how how far they've come since that sort of slow start to the season. Uh, I think so. I think actually when you look at their fixtures uh, and the results so far this season, I would actually argue that they've 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 done what's expected really in the majority of their matches. I think when when Kumbuari got the fixture list at the start of the season, um, when you look at their losses, uh, and I, I focus on the games that they've lost, they've probably lost the games that Kumbuari was expecting to lose. You know, it's the likes of PSG, Nice, 
Um, it's the likes of, of Nantes, the likes of Marseille. Those are the games of Mo uh, Monaco, sorry, as well. Those are the games that Convo probably would have expected to lose. And then what they've then done is just picked up the points. Um, and yeah, perhaps there's been one too many draws, but they're now turning those draws into wins. I, you know, they're certainly playing a lot better. But they're getting the points for, against the teams they should be getting the points against. Now, as we, as you said at the start of this link, it's still an incredibly congested table. Um, so, you know, they can't afford to let anything anything drop. But it, it's really encouraging to see a team go out and really just execute their game plan. Um, you know, they're going out. They know, right, this is a game that we as a, we as a team, we as a squad have, have, have signalled, right, we're aiming for the points here. And they're going out and they're getting the points. You can't ask, you can't ask for much more than that. Um, yeah, they've got some pretty tricky games coming up. But providing that they can stay on that focus of, well, okay, these are the games that we're going to go in and these are the games we're going to go in and win, um, there's every reason why they can't continue the success. Yeah, and they, they start to maybe sort of separate themselves from that sort of big glut of teams from sort of ninth downwards, especially now. So it's sort of spreading out a little bit more. But they're only a point behind Nice, who've had a relatively average season. They're four behind Nantes, who are in fifth, which would be the Europa League places. Um, obviously, sixth and seventh might be as well, depending on cup competitions. But Eric, do you think they can maintain a European challenge? Are they strong enough to do that? Or do you think some of these other teams, like, say, Montpellier, who've had a good season as well, even if you count teams like Rennes or, or even Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne, if they put a run together in the second half of the season, that, um, that maybe they might challenge them there for the, uh, the European spots? I think what Rich says is, 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 on the, is on the nose there, that there are a lot of teams in the mix, but I think that this is also, you know, with the exceptions of Blah and, um, and Coco, a fairly experienced team. And, and a lot, a lot, not a lot of these players, but some of these players were also around for uh, those, the cup runs that Gangump had in recent years, winning the cup, and I think making the semifinals last season. Um, so there's, there's a motivation and there's an experience um, with this side that I think can allow them to achieve a level of consistency that perhaps some of these other teams can't. I mean, Montpellier have been playing more positively in recent seasons, but they also rely quite a bit on, on players that are perhaps a little bit more lacking in experience. Thinking about the likes of Junior Sambia, even though he was excellent the weekend, uh, Isaac and Benza, Jonathan Kone, a younger team. Uh, nice, you know, are good to watch, but I mean, they're also relying on players who have been in and out of form. Sarri's had a sort of a mixed season. Balotelli struggled quite a bit with injury. Can't really rely on him. Um, their defense has been suspect at times as well. So I think Gangomp are as well equipped as, as any team, really, for me, below Marseille to, to have a run at this. I think that there's a, I think that also, you know, the defense is, is as good as it has been. Um, the experience of Sorbonne and Kerbrat, and I, I think um, the goalkeeping they're getting as well has, has been really solid. Uh, I think that uh, Yosin's a major upgrade from. Uh, from Jonas Lossel, and I think I think that really shows as well. So yeah, there's no reason Gangump can't necessarily continue this. Strasbourg also there there should be the caveat uh, we're missing quite a few players. Martin Terrier, Dimitri Leonard, been probably their two best attacking players this season, uh, and they were both out on Friday. So there's a, there's a bit of a caveat there. I think that looking at the fixture list with a closely does reveal that Gangump will be getting the rub with Green, but you know conversely I think. 
we can think of the reverse fixture you mentioned they have Leon midweek when they played Leon earlier in the season I think they were incredibly unlucky not to have won uh, believe uh, Taram had hit the bar and Lopez had made a couple a couple of really good saves in that match if I, if I recall it correctly so there's there's been a consistency to their performances um, perhaps save that loss to Monaco or sometimes they haven't got the rub of the green and, and maybe you know with a little bit of luck this time around um, they continue to climb up the table and let's not forget, you know, once you add to the likes of Nice and, well, maybe Marseille are too far away to catch, but Nice certainly, once you add that fixture congestion, um, their squad looks to be getting a little bit smaller now as Cozzello seems to be on his way out the door as well, that uh, that could be a mitigating factor for Les Aguilon as well. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you start to think that it might be a battle between a, a more entertaining side, you might say, in Gangomp and the, the sort of more defensive-minded uh, grind-out teams like Nantes and Montpellier come, uh, come the second half of this season, really. And, and you made a good point about uh, Strasbourg missing uh, Leonard. It was a great stat from uh, Optijon. In the three games he's missed, uh, Strasbourg have lost all of them. So he's pretty key from the looks of things, really, so far this season for them. Um I wanted to move on now to one of the managerial appointments that we had over the winter break, really, and that's Christophe Galtier at Lille. He got off to a winning start as well uh, this weekend with that 1-0 win. Um, that's a, a decent start. They sort of weren't terrible, really, before the winter break, Rich. They seem to have maybe started to attest things, but kind of been a good side at home. They've had a, a, a really solid first half of the season. That's a really good starting victory to start building a platform for this team and, and going in the right direction for once. Uh, it is. You know, it's, it's um, you know, I think we, we've all said once Gantier was appointed that we're, we would see a new, uh, a new Lille. There wouldn't be a focus on any kind of flashy play or attempt at flashy play. It's going to be very, very solid. It's going to be very organised. Um, yeah, at times it's probably not going to be too pretty, um, but it'll be effective. And then this was this was the you know the perfect start for them. Um, you know there will probably be stronger tests, but can't away as you say. You know it's not it's not the easiest of grounds to go to kind of quite an unpredictable team. Um, you know, we have seen them before turn over, you know, much stronger uh, and more informed teams than Lille. Um, so to go there to get the win, um, it was a scrappy game. Um, there was, uh, you know, plenty of tackles flying in, but, um, you know, they got the points. And this, I think this is going to be, a, you know, a, a performance that's going to inject a, you know, confidence in them in the new year. Um, and as you say, it's kick-started the, the Galtier era, however long that will be, off to a great start. Yeah, it was a bit of an interesting one, really, if you're looking at the stats. I mean, there's some positives for Lille. I mean, Thiago Maia, for starters, is playing in a much better position for him. But then again, at the same time, Fori Balotore is getting himself sent off and getting himself into trouble again. There's, there's also rumours that Captain Ibrahim Amadou is getting offers here, here and everywhere as well to move, and that would be a big loss. Uh, Eric, do you think this is well? This is an interesting job for Galtier to take? We all thought that maybe after leaving Saint-Étienne, he would try sort of maybe somewhere abroad or, or try a different kind of team. It's an interesting appointment. Uh, we all think he's a, he's a great manager, but there's still, on evidence of even this win, there's still work to do. Yeah, certainly. I think this is a really interesting appointment. I think that you know, we looked at Galtier's best at Titian sides as being reliant on veterans. We think about the likes of Ruffier, Perrin, Hamuma. 
uh, you know, even a player like Vincent Pajot or Kevin Teofil Catherine, players who Kevin Monipake, players who've had a lot of experience in the league. You don't he doesn't have that that luxury at Lille. Um, so he's forced to sort of have a rethink of the way he approaches things. I mean, yes, there's a, a fair amount of solidity here, but I wouldn't say these teams are necessarily negative in the way that Sentetanoff could be under his stead. I think we're seeing a, a little bit more of a, of a positivity here, and he's allowing these players to play with perhaps a little bit more joie de vivre. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily manifesting itself as a lack of caution, but I, I think he's allowing the players to express themselves a little bit more. Whereas I think under Bielsa, uh, I think one can sort of see the, these players, especially some of the younger players, you mentioned Balotore, who I, <laughs> I'm impressed by. I don't think he's a league on left back by any stretch of the imagination, at least not at this point in his career. But I digress. I think they play with a little bit less fear of making a mistake or um, just because of the complexity of Bielsa's system. And I think by allowing these players to express themselves uh, both in a creative way, but, it, but also to have a more basic and simple approach um, that makes a little bit less ground, a little, little less room for error, um, Galtier can allow this team to succeed. I'm not saying they're going to make Europe, but I'm saying that you know, he can show himself to be a versatile manager who can succeed in more than just one way and also allow these players to continue to grow. I think looking at that lineup that played yesterday, maybe Mendes is the oldest player at 24. Four or five? How, how old is, is he? Uh, Twenty-five. Yeah. So it, it's still a very, it's a very young side, um, and I, I think I think there's a lot to be said for the way he seems to be developing this team, at least early doors. Yeah, and it's a really interesting move for him. I mean, at Santetiani, he was maybe held back from trying different things, being a bit more adventurous, maybe because of um, obvious issues with money but that's maybe not necessarily what he's getting at Lille as well it's maybe a bit of a fire job at the moment with their potential financial difficulties as well it would be really interesting to see how that one progresses really over the season really uh, time for some transfer talk and there's, there's plenty of it as always the man in the headlines really right now is is Malcolm who is still rumoured uh, to be joining possibly Arsenal now seems to be the, the front runners given that Alexis Sanchez looks like he's on the way out it looks like that they're trying for the Brazilian to be his replacement um, Rich it, the Bordeaux themselves have sort of flip-flopped on this all January. I mean, uh, earlier they said they was absolutely not going to move uh, Jocelyn Gauvin. That came out during the weekend saying that they're not absolutely certain that he's go. If he, it was sort of a more if he goes, he goes kind of thing. We'll get someone else in to replace him. Um, it'll be a really big blow for them to lose him at this point. But can they resist what possibly could be a really big offer, really, from uh, from Arsenal, given what they might get for Sanchez as well? Well, I mean, it looks like it's going to be what 40 50 million euros um which is you know sort of almost foreign territory um as far as uh, accepting an offer for bordeaux um ultimately they're not a club that has to sell um you know he's he is under contract um at the minute although it, as much as his agents seem to be trying to stir it up a little bit at the minute he's just on the right side, I think, of behaving himself. Um, there have been one or two pictures that maybe lead you to believe that his 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 mind's drifting. Um, but in terms of, of whether Bordeaux have to accept the offer, well, ultimately they don't have to accept it. Um, you know, they could just, you know, it, it's hard push to say that they wouldn't be able to command this kind of fee in the summer. 
if anything, they may even be able to to bump it up a little bit if they can, you know, get the the team performing around Malcolm to give him the support that he needs. So, uh, I mean, it does at the minute it is looking more like it is, uh, and it's interesting that it's it's Gorvanek who's the one that's almost changed the the rhetoric of it. You know, we had all the various presidents and other board members coming out and saying, you know, almost categorically, he will not be sold. Uh, you know, this January, he will be staying this transfer window. And then, as you say, Gorvanek was coming out and saying, well, if he goes, he goes, but he will be replaced. Um, so it's quite interesting to hear that. That was sort of the first inkling that, well, actually, maybe it's not, you know, a certainty that he will stay. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm in two minds as to whether I think he'll go or not. I think we've we touched on this on the on um, last week's show that I feel it. I just worry that it's it's too big a stepping stone too soon for him. That we need to see him performing week in week out at the level we know he can. Um, and I, as I say, it, this this Bordeaux team should be that team. Yeah, we know that they are woefully underperforming. But if this Bordeaux team can perform at the level we think we all thought that they would at the start of the season, Bordeaux can be that team. But at the minute, they're not. And therefore, I just have concerns over that consistency and him making such a leap from, you know, in a team that's playing so poorly and you know, thrown into this limelight of a, of a top European side. Uh, and I, I do worry. You know, I think Arsenal could be a good fit for him. Um, but I would, I would like to see him stay. I'd like to see him finish the season with Bordeaux, get that, you know, get that form going on a regular basis. And as I say, Bordeaux will still get the money in the summer. Um, as I say, if he can, if he can, you know, play week in, week out at the fantastic level that we have seen in glimpses this season, chances are they'll be, they'll be you know, breaching the fifty mil mark. So it, it, for me, it's a no-brainer for for Bordeaux. It's just. Can, as you say, it's whether they just can resist that money for now and just hold off for another six months. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, forty million euros can buy Bordeaux minimum four players. Maybe if you're really being harsh, maybe three players. That's good players at that as well at a league earn level. That that's almost almost really really hard for that kind of club to resist, really. But if he does join Arsenal, Eric, I mean, we we talked about his. The other two teams that have been rumoured a lot, which is Tottenham and, and Manchester United, but it, it looks like Arsenal would be the front runner. Supposedly, they are talking to his agent. And do you think, especially if Sanchez goes um, with that gap that they clearly have out wide, then um, it maybe gives him more of an opportunity to start than he might have done had he gone to somewhere like United or or Spurs? It does, but I I, I think it's sort of immaterial. I. I I think that, you know, Rich mentions Arsenal being a top European club, and yes, they still are, but I also worry that not only in terms of his situation on the pitch and expectations, but, I mean, you know, what an utter mess Arsenal appear to be right now. I mean, I'm not just talking about the loss to Bournemouth. I'm talking about the fact that they really seem to be a market class below at least at least what, as soon as it looks like the top four in, in the Premier League. And... and it's. I don't. I don't think it's going to do do him any expectation. I think. I think that where we've seen Malcolm struggle this season is in trying to do too much. I think that he doesn't have the faith in De Preville and, and in Mendy 
He, I think he does in Laborde. I, I, I'm interested to see how this team plays with Laborde back now. I think it's no coincidence that he scored. He was the one that scored at the weekend. I think that we can look at how Malcolm might feel that same pressure as in Bordeaux struggles and Arsenal struggles and, and just try and do too much. And I think that when he's that sort of player and when he doesn't have faith in his teammates, that's when, you know, he, I think tries to do too much and, he, and if it doesn't come off, he tries even harder and it just becomes this sort of spiral of, of, of frustration for him. And it, it doesn't work out the way that he wants it to. And he doesn't, he's not able to show his gifts. Uh, I think the way he can. Um, in terms of an opportunity, I, I think there is something to be said for Arsenal having more of a pl potential place for him than the other sides, yes. But at the same time, I think the situation could really potentially be, be toxic for him uh, in terms of a place to further his growth. Yeah, and it, you start to worry maybe as well with rumours that they might be looking at Aubameyang as well, that him and, and Lacazette and, and Ozil's contract running out and then other spaces, it's where, where he fits exactly. Will he get a, a, a time to adjust, especially from January onwards, where Arsenal are desperate to try and really gain some kind of footing towards the Champions League again? It, it could, like you say, be a really tough venture for him to go to. Um, let's talk about some other interesting transfers around Liga now and, and let's go for some incoming ones now and uh, one I want to talk about has been confirmed in, in Jan and Villa who's returned to well, to these shores at least anyway to, to play for Saint-Étienne. Um, a good move for him especially well at least and a good move for the club uh, Rich as well. There was a number of different Liga clubs uh, interested in his services and surprisingly he had a, a good spell in England. It's been a bit quiet since he's been back in Russia and there's always been a little bit of conflict. He's always seemingly wanted to come back um, or outside of the Russian league, at least anyway. Um, but he's a good player, attitude issues at times, but he's shown at least in England that he, he had a nice level head for, for a time. Is he a good signing for Saint-Étienne given that they maybe needed an extra defensive midfielder in there? Uh, I think he is a good signing. I think he's a, as you say, I think he's, he's quite a, a, a calm player on the ball anyway I mean he's he does have the ability to be a little hot-headed at times but he is a calm player on the ball he's good on the floor uh, good on the ball um it just provides a, a a sort of relaxing calming feel I think in that midfield that you know he is I still think a really really good player um I think a combination of of, of you know poor judgment on his half on, on his behalf and bad luck have meant that we've really not probably seen as the, the, the player that we should have seen from Jan and Villa. You know, Russia was obviously you know, a bad move for him. I'd like to have seen, you know, he had a successful loan spell with Sunderland. I'd like to have seen him, perhaps not not necessarily with Sunderland, but I think there were certainly you know other suitors in in the Premiership who would have taken him on. But he went back to Russia. Um, you know he's now reached that age where you do wonder we probably will we probably won't ever see how good a player he could have been um you know there were there were games when he was back playing for ren when he was the future you know he really was he was the future of, of ren and you know countless big clubs he could have moved on to he was the future for france um and sadly yeah he's 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 just failed to deliver and now some of that's his fault some of that's not his fault um 
making no bones about it, it's a it's a good signing for Santetian. It's it's one of those great moves that's good for the player, good for the club. Um, he had to get out of Russia. It was becoming such a you know Kazan, Ruby Kazan were effectively dissolved, I think, and weren't paying players and all, all this mess. He needed to get out. He needed to focus on his football again, get playing. Um, and so this is a good, you know, Santetian have had a really, really poor season so far. But this is a positive move from them. He can help shore up that defence that's been you know, nowhere near as solid as we've, as we've seen in, in previous seasons. Um, so I'm really hoping that we can we can start to see some glimpses again of that excellent player that he was uh, sort of last time he was in France. Mm, yeah, and looking at the Santetia midfield, Eric, I mean, Pajot, Dabo, Diouise, Hernani, Salnes, uh, Maiga as well, they've all kind of played bit parts in bit games and no one's really held down a, a solid spot really do you think Yanomvia adds to the quality in that one and, and possibly is that even arguably their best midfielder as well I think uh, at his at his peak he's absolutely their best midfielder uh I think there's more to come from DSA I think he's a very he's a very young player I think he's what is he 20 I think the rest of those players are all somewhat limited in in, in their in the way that they approach the game and I, I think Mbila brings a, a fiery style of play and a competitive drive that will also retain a fair amount of quality that those other players don't really have. I think if that managerial team of since the end have installed, if they can look at playing a four-three-three and, and allow him to have you know a bit of dynamism, and then you're really going to have a, a balanced midfield and allow this team to take the next step. Uh, going going forward again, I, I think European football is still a faint possibility, uh, but at the very least, he's going to make Santantian, you know, a better prospect to watch, and which I think is something that, you know, even as a Leon fan, I, I have a bit of a soft spot for Santantian because I feel like, you know, they're they're a, a probably a French club uh, in terms of their investment and in terms of their, their their the way that they approach things. They're not they're not. Uh, Spending mega bucks, and I, I think that it's there's something to be said for that in, from a, a, a love of the game in France, and it, it's good to see him being able to keep keep their fortunes up. You know, when relegation had seemed a genuine concern. Mm, absolutely, and I mean, I, I'm just imagining in a team with with Darbo and Diouise around side via allowing those two to sort of be set free as box-to-box players and getting involved in attacks while via sort of controls the things from the middle of the park and switches with them with if they need to. They've, it, it, he gives them extra options, I think, um, compared to a lot of the other midfielders. A lot of them seem to sort of pigeonhole themselves into certain spots. You think Selnace is, is very uh, much a, a sitting midfielder. Um, others like Hernani is maybe more attack-minded but can't really defend as well. Um he gives them a little bit more viability of changing things if they need a two-man midfield, if they need a three-man midfield, uh, and Via sort of fits into both holes quite nicely. Um, let's do some rapid-fire real transfer news, and I'll send. So I'll, I'll do a player for you each, and I'll start with you, Rich, and, and former Ren man Paul Georgian Tep, who's not getting any game time at uh, draw specialists, real draw specialists as well in in Wolfsburg. Marvin, Martin Smith has uh, barely played the uh, the Frenchman. He's pro- looking like he wants to move back to Liga, whether that be on loan or, or a permanent transfer. Um, it'd be great to see him back in the league, wouldn't it? Oh, it absolutely would. Um, he was another player. I thought Wolfsburg just it didn't feel like the right move for the player. You know, he I think he'd had reached that point of sort of being. Uh, outgrown um, with Ren. Um, 
really exciting player. It was the right time to move on, I felt. It just wasn't the right club, I think, that he chose to go to. Um, and it's just not worked out. Uh, it's sad to see because he can be, on his day, an absolutely electric player to watch, full of pace, full of skill. Um, he really, really goes to the edge in terms of cockiness and, and sheer arrogance, but I think just about stays on the right side of that. Um, uh, and, yeah, when he's at his best, he's an absolute joy to watch. So it's looking like it's going to be Saint-Étienne that he, he moves to. I think that seems to suggest that that would be his favoured his favoured team. And, look, you know, if, if he comes back and plays for Saint-Étienne, who seems to be a, a sort of ground for the for the former Rem players, there's quite a few of them there now. Um, I, you know, it, it pains me to see him back in Ligue 1 and, and for a club that's not Rennes. But, you know, moving in, coming into Saint-Étienne, who so obviously need, I think, that kind of player that can provide some real energy going forward, a bit of spark, um, a bit of bit of arrogance, um, but is also a, capable of, of providing an end product. I think that could be a great move for him. Mm, yeah, and you absolutely nail, the, nail it on the head there, Rich. They desperately need some creativity and someone like Ntep and the arrogance and that directness that he can bring, he could be a real ideal signing for that. Um, another player that's being linked with a permanent move, supposedly Lille want to have Martin Terrier off their books for some reason or the other. Uh, he's currently on loan at Strasbourg, but there's there's a number of clubs that are looking at him both here and in England, reportedly teams like Bournemouth are, are having a look at him. Um do you think it would be right for him to get a permanent move away? And Eric, a move to England seems a little bit too soon, doesn't it? It does. Uh, he's also been linked with the likes of Marseille and Lyon domestically. I think that those both of those teams would make more sense. I think that I could see him eventually playing a starting role on the left side of that Marseille attack, for example. I think at Lyon as well, if, if we see Awar evolving in a more central role, whether it be in, in central midfield, or what have you? I think that he could he could play on the left side of Leon as well, uh, but he also has the versatility to play as a striker. I mean, he's he's you know a thin player, but he's he's got a, a good strength about him. He could he could play as an orthodox striker as well, um, and I think that you know with European football um, and in cup cup runs continuing for or at least at least Coupe de France runs continuing for both those sides, he could he would probably be a better fit and allow his career to develop in a more natural way. Uh, where he just where he to go with one of those sides, uh, England, especially for a team like Bournemouth, uh, I I do worry about whether that would be not necessarily a move too far for him in terms of his quality with regards to the team, but whether he'd be the kind of player that would be afforded a chance to play um, with relegation still being a concern for uh, a team of that level at this point in the season. Yeah, especially thinking of, of players like Lise Mousset, who, who doesn't really get a look in there. You, you do worry that a young player going to Bournemouth, it might not be the exact time to uh, for him to go, really. But he is an exciting player. I, I would also think that if he does end up going to like a Lyon or a Marseille, it'd be nice if they lent them Strasbourg, back to Strasbourg for the rest of the season. I'd feel a bit sorry for them um, losing him simply because Lyon are, are desperate to sell some some players. It, it was like Olas after the... Um... The draw against Angers came out and said, basically, he was asked about the links with Terrier. And he said, basically, he's got all the attributes that that marry perfectly with Leon. Um, you know, I know he's with Strasbourg at the minute. I know that Strasbourg want to keep him for the rest of the season. Um, but basically a case of, well, if he wants to come, we'd gladly have him. 
So normally when Olaf says that kind of thing, too long down the line before an offer is made and some, it may even be that talks have already started. Leon seem to be big, big fans of his, especially Olaf's. Mm, yeah, and that's that's a big thing to be, at least anyway. It's a pretty important step to take, at least. Uh, he is an exciting player. I've really enjoyed him this season. Uh, I think he'll definitely get uh, some kind of move in the near future. Another man who's looking at possibly a move away is is, is Buna Sar. He's been linked with uh, English clubs. I think it was, I can't remember, it was in Newcastle who put a bid in for him, I think. It's a, a three Leicester. Mil- Leicester, that's it, a €3 million Euro bid that's been rejected. Supposedly, they'll, they'll come back in for him. Um, Seems like an interesting move, really, Rich. I mean, he's been used as a fullback on occasion this season, really, rather than a, a winger as we expect him to be. Do you think it seems like maybe a move for a team like Leicester, especially who are, are a mid-table Premier League side, maybe filling squad places or maybe even just preparing for someone to come in to fill the boots of uh, Riyad Mahrez should he leave either this month or, or possibly in the in the summer? Um, it does strike me as a... Well, he's a bit of a utility... Um, they've gone in with a you know a very very low bid. Um, interestingly, though, Marseille fans I think would be more acceptable if they wanted to bid sort of five or six million. It seems um, that they would probably be happy for for uh, for him to be on his way. Um, I can only think that he's just a squad player. He's got a bit of it, you know, a bit of experience, um, and that he will probably be pretty cheap. Uh, I can only think. I had no idea where on earth that bid came from. Um, you know, if you told me Leicester had bid on a on a on a player in Ligue 1, I think Bunasar would have been way, way, way down <laughs> before I'd have guessed his name was the the player that they put in a bid for him. So it was a bit of a left field um, left field rumor to have come about. Um, but yeah, all I can think of is that he would be a fairly cheap um, squad utility player to bring on board. Yeah, be an, an interesting one, really. Especially his versatility to play fullback will will really help them. Maybe remind them of someone like maybe during the title run, Jeffrey Schlupp, who they they tended to play maybe a, a wing back role when they needed to as well. Uh, the final one I wanted to mention, uh, Eric, is is an interesting one for going out at least. Anyway, again, um, is Vincent Consiello, who looks like he's joining uh, Cologne. It looked like he had a medical in the uh, the city today um our player well a young player of the season two seasons ago it, it hasn't really worked out here for him since um for Neeson. i would maybe argue that one of Favre's biggest mistakes possibly so far is not um giving him more game time and allowing him to continue to grow but it's a it'll be a real coup for uh, the german side who are desperate for players to try and get them out of their current relegation plight but he can be a really really fantastic player if they allow him to grow can't he yeah, I, I'm surprised. I mean, with with the move, you know, with Sari also heavily linked to an exit, you would think that Cozzolo would want to have a little bit more patience in terms of his developing developing his career at Nice. But you know, perhaps he sees the signings of a player like you know Tamez, Lismalu, and Makengo. They signed three central midfielders this 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 summer. Four, if you count uh, Nampolis Mendy's return. Um, and I think that maybe he took a front to that. Uh, he, I mean, he certainly hasn't been played that much earlier. Uh, especially in recent weeks. Uh, and, you know, I think he's someone who, you know, wants to take a step. And we've seen Germany be a, a very kind arena for uh, French players in, in this season. I, I think Benjamin Pavard and uh, I mean, Arit spring immediately to mind. Uh, but the, the Bundesliga, I think, is, you know, increasingly a league that 
has has seen the value in young players, and from France especially. Abdou Diallo is another player who's moved recently, uh, and if Casiello sees sees Carolyn as a way to further his career, I, I think good for him. Um, will Nice regret this? I think only time will tell. I think that he's, you know, certainly he's he's of a good standard for Liga, but is he going to be someone who challenges for a place in the national team in the near future? Probably not. I, I don't think that this is, you know, on the level of regret of, you know, letting letting go, say, uh, Sadio Mane or someone like that, or, or uh, Naby Keita, someone who's, who's left France at a young age and goes on to do really great things. I don't think Kaziel is in that level, and I don't think it's that big of a, a deal for, for Nice, especially with, with Makengo. I, I think he's a player who we can really see a lot of in the, few, in, in the near future as well. He's a really talented presence who can offer a lot of the same skill set that Cosiello does. Yeah, it's an, yeah, I think it's an interesting one, especially, like you say, given Nice's depth, you think that it does seem like a strange one, given that how how good he was two years ago as well. It's really a shame that he's he's fallen off the wall. It's not fallen off the wagon, but gone from there. We wanted to mention something, Rich. Yeah, it was just, it, for me, almost the, 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 uh, equally as baffling as is is where he, where he's gone to, um, you know, to to have gone to. It's not like he's going to move into uh, to Cologne, who are you know absolute rock bottom of the Bundesliga and look like they're going to have to perform some Toulouse esque miracle to get out of the, of of that that mire. It just it, it just seems like it it could it could end up being a waste of what could have been a very very good career. Bear in mind some of the clubs he was linked to not that long ago. Um, if they can, if they you know, just felt like if it almost like it wasn't advertised, it wasn't he wasn't almost put up for sale. It was a case of Cologne came in and said, oh you know you're not playing Cosiello, is he free? And these just went well yeah okay. I think if 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 he really was truly for sale, yeah, I think bigger clubs would have come for. But my fear is that, you know, he's going to have six months with Cologne by all, by what it looks like at the minute, end up in the second division in Germany. Um, and then, and then what happens? So it, it's, uh, I just hope it doesn't turn out to, to be a, uh, you know, not, not to sound too dramatic, but a career ending move. Yeah. It's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, I've seen Cologne a few times this season and they've been a, a tad unlucky, but for going that long without a win, um, they really are mired at the bottom of the league and, and any young player going to a foreign country as well and, and trying to experience that, it's, it's a lot of things for him to handle. But maybe at the same time, it's maybe an opportunity to put himself in the shop wonder for six months, guaranteed first team football. Maybe it gives him a the shot in the army. Well, maybe I, think, I think he will actually thrive in Germany. I think he is. A, I think he could be a really, really good player. Um, and I think he'll certainly get the opportunity. So fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we're. Up, I think we all admit that we're very big fans of his, at least anyway, from what we saw previously. And it's a, just a shame that uh, he didn't really get a chance in uh, in League One anymore. Um, let's talk about finally our, our snapshots. Um, so this week, uh, so I'll start with you, uh, Rich. What's your League One snapshot? Uh, mine's just a very very brief one on on Bordeaux. I think we've um, they've come in rightfully for a lot of stick recently, um, but. Um, having recently made the signing of Paul Bice and brought him back to France, a very, very good signing. Um, first game, first game back in France was in the uh, the one 0 win away at Troyes. Um, I think he ended up in Le Keep's team of the week as well. 
Um, he's a, you know, we know he's a solid defender. He wasn't perhaps at his best when playing for uh, for Malaga, but we saw with Nice and prior to that Santetti, and just what a solid, no fuss, no frills defender he can be. And that's exactly the kind of player that Bordeaux need at that in in that defence. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, Costille then was back. You know, he's he's suffered quite a lot since his move to Bordeaux, a drop of form, and then in turn him being dropped from the side. Um, but, um, you know, having a, a, such a dodgy defence as he'd had in front of him, I defy many goalkeepers to look good with that kind of defence. So with the likes of base in front of him, that can help him hopefully restore his confidence. He made a crucial penalty save which I think Ops have put now, he saved four of his last five spot kicks, which I don't think many keepers um, can rival. So, fingers crossed that, that, that base can, you know, it's a great signing for, for Bordeaux, not only for the quality that he brings, but also what he can then bring for, to, to the other players in the squad. Yeah, it'd be an interesting one, given that he did really struggle at Malaga and as well, and they, they were mired at the, the bottom of La Liga. Um, Eric, what's your league on snapshot? Yeah, I think the, the recent really strong player of Junior Sambia. I think this is a player who wasn't afforded much of a look-in. He's on, on loan at Montpellier from New York in Ligue 2. Uh, he hadn't had that great of a season. He was behind Stéphane Sessignon. But in recent seasons, he's, or recent weeks rather, he's really come alive. I think he's got, you know, he has sort of the level of responsibility at a young age. He's 21 to work hard and fit into that system that Michel De Jacare ends up playing, but he also has uh, a, a, an eye for goal and an attack-mindedness as well. I think that he's to watch him come through it has been really impressive. I think that you know if Montpellier can sign him permanently, they they can turn turn him for a real profit. And, you know, in a couple seasons down the line, uh, if that's the case. Uh, but if they can't, you know, I think New York could be commanding a pretty good fee here as well. I think this is the type of all actually midfielder we've been seeing a lot of lately in, in Liga, uh, likes of an Awar and, and Dombele spring to mind as well. Uh, and I think for, I think that Sambia could be mentioned be mentioned be mentioned in the same breath as as players like that um, in the next year or two. Uh, now that he's being given more of a chance to play in Liga and in a system that is, is getting the best out of him as well. I think my Liga snapshots, I always like looking at some of the uh, lighter moments of <laughs> Liga weekend. And uh, two of my favourites are one comes from the uh, Marseille Rennes game. Um, the away side had a penalty early on that was saved by Kubek that was um, completely missed by Rudy Garcia, who was <laughs> writing down notes as the penalty was missed. Didn't see it, looked up, realised that the Rem players were celebrating, looked straight back down at his notes. Um, classic managerial move from, from Garcia there. And uh, possibly the miss of the season in Paris Saint-Germain. No, um, it's played across the goal to Angel Di Maria, open goal in front of him, a player who's cost, what, 50 million euros in it a couple of years ago. Uh, absolutely skies it. It almost goes out of the stadium. It's a wonderful, wonderful miss. He scored before that, at least, anyway. So he, he got one in and one out, but it was an absolutely abysmal miss. And we we do love those good older spooners, but he'll just be glad that that will only maybe make the rounds a little bit. It won't be stuck on one of those uh, old Christmas DVDs you used to get, at least, anyway. Uh, that's all that we have time for this evening. My thanks to Rich, Eric, and all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show, which is back on Thursday, and the main show will be back at the same time, same place, next week. Abianto and goodbye.